the never-ending, never-failing, awesome love of God that when we look at through the Word of God, we see that God is faithful, God is compassionate, God cares. In every situation, in all the situations of life, God is a loving and gracious God. And in Jonah chapter 4, as we get there to wrap up our series in Jonah, we're going to see that God is a compassionate and loving God, and that drives him. And as we, we wrestle through the text today, I pray that we would see the heart of God, and that as we take a reflection upon our lives, we would see and ask ourselves, do we have that same heart? Do we have that same drive and compassion that we've sung about, the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness of our God? Do we generate and demonstrate that exact same heart that God has? When we look at our culture, there's a lot that happens in our culture, and a lot of the recent phenomenon that has occurred in our culture has been because of what has been termed as social injustice. People feeling as if there's been some sort of injustice that has occurred, and because that injustice has occurred in their minds, there's anger, there's retaliation, there's going to be violence that occurs because of that. And we're not going to debate this morning whether or not a perceived injustice is a real injustice or not. That's for a whole nother discussion at a whole nother time. But I do want us to just recognize the fact that when someone perceives there is an injustice, even you in your life and me in my life, that has the potential to spur on anger, to spur on the desire for retaliation, for bitterness, for vengeance, to, to come into our life. And Jonah chapter 3 confirms that in Jonah's mind that justice was not going to be meted out. That's part of Jonah's frustration as he goes into chapter 4. Jonah is looking and he wants, he wants justice to be done. And he feels that if God relents from the repentance of the Ninevites, that justice will not be meted out. And so we, we have that here. As he sees Nineveh being uh, punished, not being punished, he sees it as an atrocity, a social injustice against humanity. Because this is a nation, this is a group of people who have been wicked and violent. God said that, chapter 1, verse 2, that there was a wickedness, there was a violence about these people that, that was just permeating their society. So for, for Jonah to look at them and to say, they deserve this, and God is going to grant them mercy, he sees that as injustice, and it's causing emotion in his life. It's causing frustration and angst and anxiety in his life. And so as we look at Jonah's perspective here, let's look at the prodigal's perspective and work our way through the text and see what God has for us in, in this text. Notice, notice as we start, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. This is a continuation of the verse that's previous to it. There is a contrast that, that happens here. The, the statement that is here, verse 10, and God saw their works of chapter 3, that they turned from their evil ways and God relented or repented, repented or relented of the evil that he said he would do unto them and he did it not, but it displeased Jonah greatly and he was very angry. The direct, the direct correlation here is that Jonah is not happy with what God did. And it's not, it's not just a, 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 a preference thing like maced, maced potatoes. Sorry, that should be mashed. But if you ever have maced potatoes, I don't know. That's pretty nasty. Anyway, this was like one of the great debates in our family growing up. My sister, a couple of my sisters loved box mashed potatoes. Ugh. They're good for one thing wallpaper paste. That's, the, you know, that's, that's, not what, that's not the preference. That's not what's happening here with Jonah. It's like, well, God, I don't, I don't really like what you did, but I guess it's okay. That's, that's not where Jonah is at. Jonah is angry. He has a seething anger that is within him. He did not believe that the wickedness and the evil should be forgiven. When it talks about his exceeding anger, that he was very angry, he was, Jonah sees the relenting of God as the disaster, a great disaster that he would not take the Ninevites and destroy them. That's what, that's what Jonah wanted. That's what Jonah longed for. And his anger was boiling up within him. It is a burning or a seething anger is the idea of that word where it says very angry. It is welled up within him. It's been probably at least a month 
If not, we don't know when chapter four is. If it's toward the end of the 40 days and it's getting close to that time when, when we're gonna see if Nineveh's gonna get flamed out by God or not, we don't, we don't know. So he could, be, he could have been dwelling on this for a month to two months plus, and it is just consuming him. It's so much like bitterness. Think about it in our lives. When you feel something is an injustice, maybe the way somebody has treated you, maybe the way that a, a family member did something, and you allow that to dwell in your lives, and that bitterness just creeps down, you start to say things, you start to act and do things that you're like, this, this is not godly. It's not God-honoring. And so it just, it dwells up, it wells up within you. And that's what's happening with Jonah here, is that this frustration, this injustice that is occurring is welling up within him, and it is consuming his life. And we, we really see the resurrection of the old Jonah in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is Jonah chapter 1. I mean, he's, he's the same guy. He's not happy about what is happening, and he has hated what God has done. In fact, look at, look at his prayer. He goes on and he's going to pray, and, and he, his prayer is going to give us some perspective of his thoughts. He, he begins to say, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not my saying when I was in this, was not this my saying when I was in my country? He, he says that I'm not happy about this. In fact, this is the first time we're given the perspective of Jonah as to why he fled Tarshish. This is the first time we, we see in the book that gives us a reason as to why he, he got on the boat in the first place. Why did Jonah hate what God had done? Why is he feeling the way he feels? Well, there's some different opinions out there, some different ideas, and I think some of it is, is very valid as we look through. Could it be that he had just had this narrow-minded nationalism? Assyria is the, Israel's enemy. We are, you know, he's part of, you know, make, make Israel great again. That's, that's where he's at, and it's just about Israel, and he's only about Israel, and that's all he wants. Is that, is that potentially an option? Yes, that's, that's a potential option. Could it be prejudice? He does not want anybody who's not like him. He's very narrow-minded in his, his perspective, and he doesn't want these Assyrians who are different than him, who don't act like him, don't act like the Jewish people. He doesn't want them to experience God's grace. He just wants it for the Jewish people. Could that be an, an, an example of, and a reason why? Absolutely, it could be. Could it be the stigma? The stigma that he faces. You're the one who preached. Could you imagine Jonah going back to Israel and... His friends are like, hey, where were you for these last couple months? You know, oh, you're never going to believe it. You know, I had to go to Syria. I went to Nineveh, went to their capital city. And while I was there, I, uh, I preached because God was going to destroy them. And they all repented and now they're all good. Wait, they're our enemy. What are you doing? Why would you, why would you do that? The, the stigma that may come with that. Maybe, you know, and, and it's true because Jonah was, I mean, he was the agent of compassion and forgiveness to the enemy of his people. There's no way around that. He is the one who went and preached to people that his people did not like, that his people were not fans of. And so Jonah, Jonah goes and he shares, the, shares God's message with them. Could it be his personal reputation? Jonah's preaching destruction and nothing happens. What's that, what, is that, what happens when a prophet's prophecies do not come true? What are they considered? False prophet. Jonah knows that. Could he be like, I'm preaching this, and it never happened. What are people going to now think about me? They're going to think, so is he, is he upset with God because I said this, and you're not going to, this isn't going to happen, God. You're going you're to relent on your anger, and now I'm going to look like a false prophet. Could that, could that be a reason? Could it be just Jonah's strict sense of justice? You did this, you deserve this. There is no grace in the middle. It is just, we're going to, we're going to destroy you because you violated, you've been wicked, you've been violent. Could be. I, I think when we look at all of those, any of these could be a play here. If not all perspectives could be a play with Jonah's life. We're not given a complete direct clue as to why he does this, but we do know that when we look at Jonah, he wanted no part in this. In fact, that's why he got on the boat to go to Tarshish. He did not want to be the agent of God in this, in this situation. We're given a little bit more perspective. We see Jonah's relationship with God. It's not that he's not in tune with God. Notice what he says about God. Jonah, Jonah knows God. Jonah knows God's character. It's not, that, it's not that Jonah's so far away from God 
Jonah could be somebody sitting here today who could, who could honestly tell us all about God's character, tell us all about who God is, the way God works, and yet their heart is not in tune with God. Look at, look at what he says about God. He says, you are a gracious God. Therefore, I knew you are a gracious God. This is why I fled, because I knew you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness, and you repent or relent thee of evil. He says, you're gracious. You have that attitude of kindness toward those who are undeserving. You're merciful. You're compassionate. You have the love of a mother to a child. And you look, I knew, I knew God, you would look at these people and you would have this compassion toward them. You're slow to anger. You've, you've been patient. You've been long-suffering. And you're, I knew you were gonna do that to these Ninevites too. You, you show this great kindness, God, this abounding, faithful, loyal love. This is, the, this is the word that's often used just for Israel, the chesed, the, the covenant-keeping love that God has. And now you have, you have them here, and he's like, and you're gonna show this loyalty, this faithfulness to these non-believers, these non-Jewish people, and you're, you're gonna do that, do that for them. I knew, God, that you would relent of evil, that you would withhold punishment. I knew you were gonna do this, God, and that's why I did not want to go because I knew you would be compassionate to people who I did not want you to be compassionate to. It's interesting if you think about Jonah's life over the last month or two. Did Jonah not experience every one of those? The graciousness of God? Did he deserve God to rescue him from that whale? No. Did he, with, did he experience God's mercy, God's long suffering? Absolutely. Did he experience the faithfulness of God? The God withholding punishment from him? He, he experienced all of that, and yet he uses all of those characteristics of God not to praise God, but to do a tirade against him. He was so frustrated with God. He was so angry with God. Jonah has seen Nineveh repent, and he knows. He knows that because of who God is, God will relent. He should be giving God the glory for this, be praising him, and yet he's, he's arguing with God. He's saying, I knew you were gonna do this. You, your, your way, God, is not, not what I want. His prayer gives us another little perspective. What, Jonah's sense of self-justice is skewed. I think his prayer offers this clue. Jonah was very self-centered and in a very selfish spot in his life. Look at, look at the prayer. The words I, me, my, in two verses come up nine times. I knew you were gonna do this. I knew when I prayed to you, I was not in my country. I, I fled, I knew, verse, verse three, I beseech thee my life from me. It's better for me to die. He, he is very much looking at himself, looking at his perspectives, what he is going through. And when we look at our lives, selfishness is so short-sighted. And, and Jonah is being selfish. He's being short-sighted. He's not looking at God's big picture. He's not looking from God's perspective. He's looking and saying, this has impact on me, and I don't like it. I don't like what we're facing. And, and honestly, selfishness, self-centeredness kills joy. You, you are not having joy in your life. Take a look. There's a good possibility that your life is becoming much more self-centered. I know I've battled with this in my life personally. Like times when I don't have joy, it's because it's all about me, not about loving others, not about thinking about other people. I just want my way. And when I don't get my way, then I become less joyful and I get frustrated and I get angry with other people. Self-centeredness kills joy. Jonah felt God should shape his course of action according to Jonah's mind. That's what Jonah wanted. Jonah, Jonah's like, God, why would you not destroy these people. They are an atrocity to humanity. They deserve to be flamed. That's what they deserve, God. Just take them out. That's what, God, that's what Jonah wanted. And because God was not shaping his way to Jonah's way, Jonah becomes indignant. He becomes frustrated. He becomes angry. So much to the point that he says, therefore now, O Lord, I beseech thee, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than it is to live. Jonah felt like life was horribly out of order. 
He was completely frustrated by the way things. Ironically, chapter two was what? All about Jonah being rescued. Jonah coming up from the, from the whale. And now you have chapter four and he's looking and oh. And the only thing that's changed is a whole bunch of people got, they started following God. The only thing that's changed is that they repented. And now he's like, just take my life, kill me. I'm done. It's over. My life is falling apart. It is terrible. Jonah felt like dying was better, a better option than, than his enemy living. That's how, that's how much he did not care for the Ninevites. That's why I, I think there's definitely a nationalistic perspective, a prejudicial perspective, a self-centered perspective in Jonah's life as to why he did not want them. He would rather, he would rather die than see these people repent and, and go forward. Then said the Lord to him. So now all of a sudden, Jonah's given his perspective and God's gonna come in and ask him a question. A very simple, straightforward question in verse four. Then said the Lord, do you well to be angry? God initiates a conversation with Jonah, hoping for a response, hoping for a conversation. And he just says, is it justifiable? Is it doing you any good to be angry about this? God desires at this point for Jonah to examine his life, to say, take a moment and look. I think it's a great teaching point by God for us in our lives, especially when we're talking about anger. You get angry, you're frustrated, you're bitter with somebody, ask yourself, is this doing me any good? Before I send that text, is it really going to do any good? Is there a benefit to this? No, I'm angry and I'm just going to lash out is it doing me any good to be angry? God asks him, says, is, is there a benefit here? This is really, it's a moral question. It's not a legal one. It's not just Jonah have the right to be angry. He's asking Jonah, is this good for you? Is this anger, this seething hatred, is this really doing you any good? Or do you need to let this go? Do you need to, to, to have the proper perspective here in your life? Instead of a thunderous rebuke, and I, I think this is a really good another teaching point from God. He doesn't, he doesn't come out at Jonah and go, who are you? Why do you think you can even question me? He doesn't come at him like that. He comes with a tender heart, a tender question, and says, is this doing you any good? Is this, is this your benefit? A, a great questions are great ways, even in, in situations, to diffuse, to even when working with your children, asking them questions and having them respond and answer when they're, when they're going through those times. But notice Jonah's reply to the question. God asked him, does it do you well? And then verse five occurs, so Jonah went out of the city. He doesn't, he doesn't answer him. All we know is that he walks away. He, just, he, he decides to, okay, I'm done with the city, and he walks out eastward of the city, and he walks, walks away from the situation at hand. He never answers, just walks away. We're given no recorded answer in the scriptures that, that is there. His silence really may have been a sign of him digging in, his indignance, his stubbornness, his resolve to continue with this anger and this hatred that he has. He's just, he's gonna go out, he's gonna sit outside the city, he's gonna sulk, he's gonna be upset, and he's, he's gonna wallow in his self-pity and his anger, and that's what he's gonna do. He never, he never answers. Now, could he be thinking about the question? Absolutely. But what does he do? It says that, so Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till we might see what the Lord would, uh, might, might see what would become of the city. So Jonah goes out, he's gonna sit, he's gonna wait. The booth was a crude shelter that he created. It's, uh, it would only provide slight assistance from the sun. It wasn't a full-blown house. It was just something there to give it a shade. In fact, it's, it's the same word that's used here that is used of the booths that the, the, uh, the Israelites would craft for the Feast of uh, Sukkoth or the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. That would, be, that would be the same type of thing that he's creating. So even as Jonah's creating this, there's a reminder even to Jonah that this is, a, this is like the booth like we would build for these, these feasts. A reminder, what did the feast remind him of? It reminded the Israelites of God's graciousness and provision to his undeserving people when they were in the wilderness and wandering. Now think about even just that moment in Israel's history. These were people who had rebelled against God. They had defied God at Kadesh Barnea. They were not going to be allowed to go into the, into the promised land. 
And now for the next 40 years, they're going to be wandering, and these booths that they create are part of the reminder back to this time period. All during those 40 years, for people who did not deserve God's grace, God daily provided grace for them, daily provided manna, daily provided their needs, provided water when they needed, and yet they still complained, and yet God still compassionately provided because God cares for his people. So Jonah's, Jonah's even having this little practical reminder of his booth right there that God is gracious and God provides and God does give. What's Jonah thinking about during this time? Now, we're not, we're not given a, a real definite perspective. Was he pouting, hoping in secret that maybe, maybe God would destroy and, and overturn them? Maybe. Was it difficult for him to believe that the repentance of Nineveh was genuine, so we're just going to sit and watch because I don't really think they repented? We ever think like that? Oh, that person, yeah, they repent. Uh, we'll see if that really happens, if that's real. We'll see if it's genuine or not. Maybe he's answering the question in his mind of verse four. Maybe he's trying to figure out, you know, is this doing me any good? We don't, we don't really know. He might have thought that he had convinced God that he was right to be angry and that God should carry out his original intention of judgment. He's sitting there. He's waiting for something to happen. Could it be that he's looking and saying, yes, maybe, maybe God knows that I have a right to be angry and he should be angry too and he should destroy them. Maybe, maybe that's what he's thinking. Without any words though, we know this. Jonah's attitude was a defiant reply to God's question and answer. He was not on board with God. He is contrasted to God. This whole chapter, there's, there's God's perspective and Jonah's perspective. There's what God is seeing and what Jonah is seeing. And the anger and the hatred and the bitterness, it's welling up within him and it's keeping Jonah from seeing God's perspective in life. So Jonah sits there as he watches over the city. Rather than examining himself, he examines the city. He's watching over. And God is wanting him with that question in verse four. He's like, Jonah, this is a self-examination question. But honestly, have we ever been like Jonah? Do we ever sit here weekly and as we're hearing the message of the word of God preached to us, we sit and we listen and we're like, I sure hope so-and-so across the aisle hears that one. I sure hope that, you know, you know the, the nudge nudge to the spouse because they need that. It's not the self-examining that needs to occur, but that's what we should be doing on a weekly basis. It's hoping that somebody else is getting their heart right because they're the ones who need it, not me. And, and so we look, we, we can very easily... I know for me, I can easily have the heart of Jonah in a lot of ways in this chapter. And that, that should terrify me. And hopefully for you as well, to look and say, I don't want to have that. I, when I hear the word of God, I need to self-examine myself. I need to be looking and saying, how does this apply to me? Not examining the city, hoping that, and we'll see what happens. But Jonah sits there, he's examining the city. And God is going to use this moment to give a divine object lesson. It's, it's one that most of you know, you've, you've read about, you've heard about. And this object lesson, with every object lesson, there's, there's two parts. There's the object and there's the lesson. And, and what God is teaching, that's why it's called an object lesson. And, and so God is going to use this gourd to come in. Jonah's angry about God's compassion, okay? So God's going to teach Jonah this lesson. God is going to put Jonah in Nineveh's shoes. That's what he's gonna do here. To help him see if his anger is justified. He's going to, Jonah, Jonah is sitting there. He's going to be scorched. There's going to be the before the gourd, during the gourd, and after the gourd. And that's sort of, sort of how it plays out. So God does to Jonah what Jonah wanted God to do to Nineveh in a small way. Not in a, not in a grand scale, but in enough that it, it gets Jonah, it gets the lesson point front in, in front of him. So the Lord God prepared a gourd, it says, in verse 6 and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So there's this, there's this excitement, there's this happiness. The heat that is there was a factor in Jonah's discontentment. He builds a booth just to be able to try and escape from it. And the word that's used here for the deliver him from his grief, that word grief is the same word that's been used throughout the, throughout the book whenever there's a calamity or whenever there's a difficulty. He's saying that there's, here's this distress that's coming into your life 
And so Jonah is facing this distress, this grief. And so as he sits there, there's no gourd. He's sitting there, and he's being scorched by the sun. The heat is there. It's very difficult. And so he builds this quick, quick shelter to, to just provide a little bit of relief. He just, he just wants some relief from the burning sun. So God, in his grace, to somebody who does not deserve it, he says, Jonah, Jonah doesn't deserve it. Right now, Jonah's heart is not where it should be. And yet God in his grace is going to prepare or appoint a gourd. Just we've talked about appointed the fish, appoints the gourd. He's going to appoint a worm and he's going to appoint the, the wind to come. God is directly doing this to teach Jonah, to teach Jonah a lesson. So he points this gourd to miraculously grow overnight, enough so much that it's going to provide full shade for Jonah. It's going to give him all that he needs. And what happens here? Jonah rejoices exceedingly. He is exceeding glad. This is the only time and the first time we see any joy, any happiness in the life of Jonah in the entire book, and it's over the fact that he got some shade from a gourd. And that's what he's, that's what he's happy about. The emotion is the complete opposite of verse one. Verse one where he is exceedingly very angry. And now he's, he's happy about a gourd. Think about that for a moment. He's more happy about a plant that's giving him shade than he is over an entire nation that's repenting and turning to God. That is not the heart of a follower of God. There ought to be joy. The, the Bible, the New Testament tells us there's joy when even one person repents. There ought to be joy in our lives when one person repents. Not over just the, what am I getting. He's, he's more focused on the grace that he's receiving than the grace that others, others are receiving. So does Jonah potentially see an indication of God's favor and thus maybe vindication for his attitude? Think about that. Wait, God just miraculously gave me shade. Maybe God is on my side. Maybe they are gonna get flamed. Yes. Could he potentially be thinking about that? There's maybe, maybe a, a thought of vindication here. If so, it's going to be short-lived. It's not going to be very long that it's going to happen because the next verse, we're told that God prepared a worm. And then the morning that rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And so the, the animal, God points this little worm, whatever type of worm it was, doesn't matter. It was a worm that came in, destroys the gourd or the plant, and God moves quickly to knock out any ill-conceived notions that, that Jonah, you're, you're, you're vindicated. He's, going to, he's, he's using and teaching a lesson here. God appoints an east wind as well. He says, he prepared that, and then it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared, verse 8, a vehement east wind, a violent east wind, one that is a scorcher. It is just hot. It's like baking in the oven. It's like those of you who've been in Arizona, when you walk out and it's just that intense heat that you just, you don't want to, you can't bear. You're, so you're in the middle of the day, Jonah's there, and now his shade that he had is now completely gone as well. So God appoints the east wind to occur. The worm and the heat would have, of themselves, withered this plant. And yet there's a miraculous dynamic that it is all happening so fast. So you have, you have Jonah going through this whole series of feelings and emotions where he's, he's scorched. Now he's got shade and God is good and I'm so joyful and so happy. Back to I'm being scorched and I'm, and I'm frustrated and there's, there's no grace here. There's all this happening. Ironically, destruction, which is throughout the book, the only thing that is destroyed in this book is the vine. It's the only thing that brought Jonah joy. The one thing that brought him this temporary joy is the only thing that was destroyed in the entire book. And the reason is because God is, God is trying to teach him a lesson. God is, God is drawing out this picture in Jonah's life. Having been deliriously happy, Jonah was being struck down by a series of natural calamities until his misery was complete. So Jonah is asking, he's at the point where he's like, Lord, won't take my life? Well, maybe it will just faint and be done. He fainted and he wished himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. That's how intense this situation is for Jonah at this point. That's how, how much the heat and the, the divine displeasure that he is feeling, he just wants his life to be done. He wants it to be over. If God won't take my life, maybe it will just fail. 
Jonah's issue is deeper than not just simply understanding God's compassion and God's forgiveness. He's, there's a total frustration with his life. He is not happy with where he's at. He's not happy with what is happening in his life. He is not happy with what God has called him to be doing. He has just decided to let the bitterness and the anger and the wrath consume him. And that's what it will do in our lives. Your bitterness, your anger, it will consume you and you will find yourself completely frustrated with anyone and everything all the time. And that's where, that's where Jonah is at. He is, he is angry. He is angry because he was suffering. God provided this compassion and now he's suffering again. But God's looking at him and saying, Jonah, that's exactly what you want me to be doing to Nineveh. You hate this right now. You want your life to be done. Nineveh was going to be destroyed. They repented and so now I'm showing them grace. I'm, I'm relenting of the destruction of them. But you want me to kill the gourd, turn up the heat, and kill all these people. And yet you're not happy with that, Jonah. You're, you're so distraught by that, you personally want to die. Why should I do that to them? You're more concerned about a gourd that died, and now you're bitter and frustrated and angry about it. Why should I not be concerned about these people? These real genuine people, Jonah's anger is raging, his body is failing, and so now he's ready to talk to God again. And so we get the lesson portion of the object lesson. Do you do well to be angry for the gourd, he's asked. God again graciously asked Jonah a question, and this time it's about the gourd, but it's, it's a very similar question to what he had just asked previously in verse four. Jonah condemns himself with his own words. Look at what he says. He says, I do well to be angry even unto death. He says, I'm angry. He says, I want to die. He's, he's, he's clarifying and making it very clear for us. He's not happy with anything that's going on here. I just want my life to be over. Two chapters earlier, he's happy that his life is, is, is living, but now he's like, just, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna condemn myself. He really should take a moment to pause and ponder is what he should do. That's what God has been trying to get him to do. Think about, does it do you well to be bitter, to be angry about this? And often in our lives, when we're in those moments of heated rage, anger, frustration, it's important for us to take a pause, to ponder, to be thinking about what should I be and how should I be responding in these moments. Jonah believed God had been more fair with the Ninevites and far less fair in dealing with him. You took away my gourd, my shadow, my shade. You're not fair with me. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna relent on all these wicked people. You're gonna let all of them go. And then for me, you're gonna take away my shade, my gourd. You've not been fair with me, God. And don't we often in our lives, when we, we start throwing around that idea of, well, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, it's because we don't see the perspective maybe that God has. We don't like the perspective. We don't like the way things are turning out. And yet we need to trust in God's sovereign direction. We need to be trusting in God's control and direction in our lives. And Jonah was not happy about trusting anything right now with, with God. Jonah did nothing to provide for the gourd at all. It was a gracious act of God. Now God is more forceful with Jonah in verse 10. Verse 10, he's going, to, he's going to look at him, and he's not going to just be kind. He's going, to, he's going to be gracious, but he's going to be blunt. Then the Lord said, you had pity on the gourd for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow, which came up in a night and it perished in a night. You did nothing for that. And yet you're showing more pity or compassion for that gourd. You're more sad that that gourd died than if 120,000 Ninevites would die. God uses this object lesson to show Jonah that you're more concerned about your self-life, about the things that bring you joy, you're more concerned about what is happening to them than you are about these people. 
You could care less, Jonah, if these 120,000 plus people died. You're just sad that a gourd died because you don't get your shade, because you don't get what is happening in your life. The only compassion that he shows through the entire book is toward a plant. Not toward people, but toward that which brings his selfishness, his self-centeredness to the forefront. About him, about his life. Jonah's compassion was on the small, insignificant portion of God's creation. While God's compassion is on the highest of his earthly creation. Look what he says. He says, and should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle. He's like, God looks at him and says, you're concerned about this little insignificant plant. That's where you're showing compassion. I'm looking at 120,000 people who need the compassion of God. Even their cattle are higher. They, they can't repent, but they're, they're, they're more higher up the, the, the chain than even a plant. They're all there, and you want me to just destroy everything and everyone, and you're, Jonah, just having pity on a plant because it brings you personal satisfaction, because it brings you joy, because it's about your life, Jonah. You're not thinking about all the other people in my creation. Should I not spare Nineveh? This question captures the intention, the intention of the book. God's grace and God's mercy. It is sufficient for any and for all. And so God is looking and trying to get Israel as a nation to notice that. They are to, to notice that, that God's grace is not just for them. Jonah, it's not just for you. It is for everyone. In fact, we know that from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God tells Abraham, through your, nation, through your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. We know that that fleshes itself out eventually through Jesus Christ. But Israel from the beginning was supposed to be a missions-minded nation. They were supposed to be going out and bringing people in. They were supposed to be sharing the goodness, the grace, the compassion of God. And yet they became very, very self-centered, very huddled in their eliteness, rather than going out and going out into the different nations to bring them to God. That's, that's been the heart of God throughout the book. The Ninevites received deliverance they did not deserve based upon repentance they did not fully understand. And yet they're going to receive the relenting grace of God because they repented. They don't deserve it, but it's God's grace that is being meted out. It is being given. I have to ask this question for me. Should a person ever rightfully resent the grace of God shown to others? Are there moments in your life where you see that God is gracious toward another, maybe another believer, and yet you find yourself being frustrated, bitter, angry? Why didn't I get that? Why wasn't that for me? We should never find ourselves in that position. We should be rejoicing with those who rejoice. When God is gracious toward another, we should be rejoicing with them and be thankful and happy that they are. The death of 120,000 people should outweigh, Jonah, the death of a vine. And yet, you're more compassionate, more saddened about a vine than if I kill all these people. God is driving Jonah to really examine his heart to say, do you have the heart, the compassion of God? So he offers Jonah this new perspective. He says, could you, could, could you do this? Could you change, Jonah? Stop pitying the vine, start pitying the people. Start having compassion toward them, toward the, toward the way that I see things, the way that I feel about people. You should feel the same way about them. Not about all the things that bring you joy, Jonah, that you live for, that you dwell upon, that you just go after and go after and go after. What about the people? What about the people? You see Jonah's perspective and God's perspective. Jonah, he's all about his protection, all about his comfort, all about him at this moment. 
he's concerned over the death of the vine, and that's right, because God is concerned about the death of a vine, because it's his creation. But Jonah's all about the wrong reasons. It's just because of what it brings to him. Jonah overlooks the creator's concern for his creation. And that's, that's part of the perspective that God is driving at. Is he cares for his creation, but there is a portion of creation he loves and he cares for greatly. He values, God values what he creates. The right reason is because the vine was part of God's creation. That's why Jonah should have been saddened because part of God's creation was diminished. God cares for all creation, even a plant. But if God's concern goes beyond, it goes beyond just a plant. Jonah stopped right at the plant. God looks and says, the people. It's the people who need the compassion of God. If you feel compassion about the destruction of a vine, Jonah, that you did not create, shouldn't I be concerned about the destruction of the people that I did create? That's what the object lesson is driving him to. That's the the point that God is trying to make to Jonah. You're concerned about this. I'm concerned about them. Folks, we are concerned about so many of these things in our lives the things that bring us joy and happiness, though not wrong, but they consume. They take our time, they take our wealth, they take everything about us. And in the process of living for the things that bring us joy and satisfaction and comfort, we miss out on what God sees as important. The people around us, the more than 120,000 people in the Lebanon Valley, the people who need Jesus Christ, who need the compassion of God. That's, we we live for one, we condemn Jonah, and yet so many of us may have the heart of Jonah. We can tell all about God, we can give the big delineation of who God is, but we live for all of this, and we don't love the people. We need to be people who are out sharing our faith, people who are looking for the opportunities to share the compassion, the grace of God, who are missions-minded, not just missionary-minded. We need to be missionary-minded, but also mission-minded here in our area, sharing the gospel. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's the end, right? The book just goes, the end. And you're like, okay, what, what is going on? It seems like this very abrupt ending. The ending almost seems incomplete, doesn't it? And even some cattle. Okay, great. And it, it's sort of just the book, the book ends, and, and it, it's done in an intentional way. It's done to draw our attention and to give a, a, a good teaching opportunity for us. We don't know what Jonah does with the lesson, do we? We don't know if he changes his heart. We don't know if he rebels against God for the rest of his life. We have no clue what he does. When we're left, we're left with this contrast between God and Jonah. God having this this desire for people to experience his compassion. Jonah all about him. That's what we're left with. Why does the author, the book of Jonah, of the book of Jonah, why does he do this? Why is it left this way for us? When we see Jonah at the end, he's lacking understanding. He's lacking compassion throughout the book. He's lacking trust. He has an unrighteous anger in his heart. He has this nationalistic prejudicious struggle that's going on in his life. You see God, who has this sovereign understanding of life, who evidences compassion and grace and mercy. You see God who is in complete control. You see God who has this righteous anger towards sin and is gonna deal with sin. And he has a worldwide love for all these people. And you see these two opposites and then the book ends and you're like what do we do with this you are the Paul Harvey of Jonah that is that is for those of you who are under 30 and you're looking and saying who is Paul Harvey okay he you should go listen to him sometime it's not bad you can find him on YouTube I know you can um he he would he was known for what the rest of the story that's, that's what the book of Jonah leaves us with. You and I are the rest of this story. 
Jonah is not completed for a reason. When Israel would read it, they had to read and come to grips with, am I like, are we like Jonah? Or are we going to be like God who has compassion for these, even these Ninevites who are not Jewish and who are wicked and violent and, and cruel? Are we like them? Who are we like? What are we going to do with what we've heard? You and I are the completion to the story. God says, I made all of humanity, even the Ninevites. I have compassion for them. I made you, and you have experienced my compassion. You have experienced my grace and my mercy and my long suffering. You've experienced my relenting uh, power that I have not consumed you. That's where we're at. God's made all of humanity. We've experienced God's grace. So can't you share in the mission of reconciling sinners to me? You and I complete the story of Jonah. One way or the other, we either become the Jonah who is consumed with our lives, with what we get to have, or we take the mind and the heart of God and say, we need to be more evangelistically minded. We need to be in, in, ingratiating ourselves into conversations with people, asking them to do Bible studies, talking with people and handing them a tract. We need to be sharing the gospel more and more because that is at the heart of God. He has a love for other people and you and I must develop that love and that compassion for them, not just living for ourselves and our things. That's where, that's where Jonah is left at with us. And so as I, I look at that, and I look at the book of Jonah, and I say, okay, what are some final thoughts for us just to, to take away as we finish up? We should be careful that we are not standing in direct opposition to God's revealed will and seeking to implement our own desires. God's will for our life. We know for certain through the book, share the compassion, the love of God. I think about this statement in relationship through the years of times when I hear of parents who have talked their kids out of missions because their, their child wants to be a missionary and the parent says, but you're not gonna make a lot of money. You know, it's, it's dangerous. Standing, and, and it may be God's will for that, that individual to go to the mission field and yet the parent stands in the way of what I would not wanna be there. I would not want to, it's sort of like the, do you remember the, the, the seafarers, the mariners? What, when they realized that Jonah was a prophet of God, what, what did they start doing? They started rowing to try and get him back. They didn't want to stand in the way. They wanted, they wanted him to be able to get back and do what he wanted to do. But we look and we say, don't stand in opposition to God's will just because this is what you want in your life. This is what you desire. You seek, I should seek God's will. All who attempt to limit God's grace Share in Jonah's protest. If you find yourself saying, I don't want to share the gospel with those people, I don't think we should send missionaries to that area of the world. They don't deserve it. You know what? Just blow them all up. Put them on an island. If you look and say, I want nothing to do with the LGBTQ community at all and I'm never going to share the gospel with them because that's an abomination, you have the heart of Jonah. Because God has compassion for whatever letter of the alphabet that person is. God has compassion for them. God has compassion for any place around the world. Even if they are in the most rebellious state against God, even if they are exalting everything anti-God, God still has compassion because they are made in his image. We should not be limiting the grace of God. To experience the grace of God and not be willing to tell others of his compassion is a tragedy we must avoid. That's the heart of Jonah. We need to. You and I, as we sit here, have experienced the grace of God, and we need to be sharing and telling others about that grace. God's intention is for all of us to know his love, insider and outsider alike. Our church should not just be a social club that is just for us. That's why we have neighborhood night next week. That's why we wanted to go beyond neighborhood night next week and we want to have the opportunities to reach out to those outside of our little community right here. 
We need you. God needs you. That is God's design for this church, is that the people of the church go out into the highways and the byways, and they share the gospel. At all times, there's, there's no one who is too old, no one who is too young. There is no one who is too mentally incapable. You can share the gospel. You can't just say, well, I'm not smart enough to do it. Yes, you can. Share about the grace that God has shown in your life. We need to have the tender heart of the creator, desperate to reconcile his creation. Do you see people as God sees people? With that tender, compassionate heart that says they may and probably are dying and on their way to hell because they are not saved. And what can I do about that? God has invited us to share in his mission of reconciliation of people, even our enemies, even those you may not like. And we must consider that God is not just for Israel or just for us, but he is for all of humanity, every single individual out there. So therefore, I think we need to have a wider vision for people, a wider vision in praying for our missionaries. You adopt a missionary, sign up, you have the opportunity to not just pray for our missionaries, but have you ever thought about when you're praying for our missionaries to pray for the people who they minister to or the people they haven't ministered to yet, that they would get saved, that God would provide opportunities to be working in their life so that when one of our missionaries meets with them, their heart is ready and tender for the gospel. We don't just pray for the missionary, we pray for the mission field. We need to have a wider vision of our mission in life, looking and saying here in our workplace, around our, around our lives, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And I just, this is the question I come back with. It's how, it's how God ends. And it's the question that we have to ask ourselves from the book of Jonah. Should I not be concerned? Should I not, should you not be concerned for the lives of, the spiritual well-being of people to look and say, I should be concerned. I should not have the heart of Jonah, but I should have the heart of God that breaks when I talk with people who are not saved. That breaks when I see people living in such opposite life, living a such opposite life to that of the scriptures. Our hearts should break. And that compassion and empathy are two different things. I hope you understand that. We'll wrap up with this. Empathy feels. I feel for those people. I feel sad about that. I feel bad that they're dying and going to hell. I feel bad that life is so different. But God has compassion. Yes, he's empathetic. Compassion does something based upon the empathy. Compassion does. Love does. And if I have compassion for people, it's not just enough to feel bad, but I must do. I must share. I must tell. I must go. We need more missionaries. We need more missions-minded people here in the States we need more people who are evangelistically minded, who have the heart of God with a compassion toward people. Should I not be concerned? You're the rest of the story. I'm the rest of the story. What do we do with it this week? Let's go out. Look for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others.